This is Paul Nobles from Eat Reform. I am sitting here with uh, Mike Nelson. This is actually the final class for our nutrition course. Um, we've actually covered a lot of material that we're um, going to talk about. Um, actually, it's going to be in addition to what we've already talked about because we don't need to cover um, things again, right? Um, we also have a special guest, um, Adam Glass. Uh, I know Adam a little bit from online. Mike knows Adam a lot because um, they've worked together with on various capacities. I think you guys are going to be really interested to meet Adam. Adam, did you want to say hello? Did we lose Adam? Yes, thank you for, uh, no, I got, I'm on the I had to call in. Sorry. Thank you guys for having me out. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me on your program today. Thank you, Mike, for the invite. Appreciate it, guys. Yep. So, Adam is actually a good guest for um, what we're going to be talking about because um, what <laughs> I don't know how much you follow Eat the Perform, Adam, but um, one of the books that we talk about is the Wave Method, which is um, basically where athletes are trying to, uh, you know, be in maintenance mode where they're building tissue most of the time and then only occasionally being in a deficit. And it sort of depends on the athlete how we adjust that. One of the things, you know, and Adam's actually been through a cut with Mike before, and so he can maybe talk about it as much as, as Mike can. Actually, he could talk about it more, right? Because you've been through the sucky part. <laughs> Mike was just telling you the details. Um, but one of the things, we basically, Adam, we give people three levels. Um, and... and they're all deficit calories, but they're based on um, various factors. And one of the questions that we, we've always gotten from clients and we've been able to talk, talk them through it is, when do I go to the lowest number? And in general, we try to keep them, probably similar to the way that Mike did it with you, where they're seeing a result at you know, the higher calorie points, and then you don't want them necessarily, um, you know, basically you want the least amount of interference for um, the most amount of result, right? That's that's the way Mike always says it, so I'll steal his thunder a little bit. <laughs> um, but when you have clients in a cut, and, and especially, you know, when you're not doing it over a prolonged period of time, like we recommend, um, Within weeks, their bodies will downregulate. Their bodies will start to adjust to um, the lower amount of food. We talked a little bit through this course on how you keep up volume. You move to a little bit more hypertrophy work. Um, if you're starting to struggle, maybe you might add in a rest day so you can have your volume a little bit higher and you can have a little bit more recovery. But there's always been sort of like this, you know, suspicion or not suspicion, but like this, um, this confusion as it relates to like when they would go to the third day and, and, or the third number, which is the lowest number. And you want to hold off as long as possible. But if you're on week four and for two weeks, you know, you haven't seen any movement, you know, it's time to move to the bottom two numbers. Now, you know, it kind of depends on what you're willing to do in terms of putting in the work, you know. Um, 
and and what your body's capable of doing, right? And uh, but I think for a lot of people, um, if you're going to want to see a result, right, and you're normally eating X amount of food and you're eating less than that, and then you know you're four weeks in and you start to stall. It's not particularly exciting to go, oh my goodness, I'm already feeling uncomfortable. You know, I'm not sure I really want to be more uncomfortable. So, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about the science side of things? But but I remember, like, my first introduction to, to Adam was when he was cutting with Mike. You know, and this was probably three, four years ago, something like that. So, Mike, if you could talk about the science thing, and then, Adam, you, can, you could talk about the part where you were cursing Mike. Yeah, so, like you were saying, Paul, so usually the reduction that we use is usually only about, like, eight weeks. Um, so the hard part is everyone wants to know, okay, so I start reducing calories. You know, how much does my sort of metabolic rate match that? And, you know, if you carry it out long enough, at some point, it probably will, you know, unless you get to some crazy low numbers, that type of thing. It just doesn't drive down to zero. Um, so it's going to taper off at some point. And the hard part is if you look at the literature, the numbers are like all across the board, right? There used to be some older research on what they called sort of thrifty versus non-thrifty metabolisms and trying to differentiate rates of response and that type of thing. But in practice, is exactly what you said, Paul, is that some people, you decrease their calories and their metabolism right away will kind of drop down and, and try to match that much faster than other people. Um, so some people, you may end up being a little bit more aggressive. Other people, you may not, right? So you're trying to give them the littlest amount of decrease for the maximum amount. And the hard part is when people start comparing their numbers to somebody else. Oh, I'm on week four and I'm at blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm only at blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, it's not really a direct comparison between one person for the next. I mean, there's obviously lifestyle training, those types of things. But even in a research setting, if you controlled for all of those things as much as you can, different people have different rates of response. So that's the good part is at, at the end, you know, the numbers will usually kind of work out. Now, some people may have a little bit of an easier time than other people's, but one of the things I always said is that the physics always works at the end of the day. You know, you can't, you know, physics will still be true. The, the rates, however, may be different, and one person may have to be lower than the other person. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I do want to sort of clarify is that as we're talking about eight-week cycle, it's actually longer than eight weeks when you when you put it, when yeah. you, well when you put it in practice because you're you're not going to just go eight weeks and then cheesecake. That's actually right. That's actually <laughs> the problem that most people get right, and they do like these thirty day challenges and stuff like this, and then they they go to extremes and then they they move out of it too too quickly. So Adam, from a practical standpoint, when when you went through this, as you were getting leaner and stuff like that, um, is that is that similar? I mean, what was your experience? Can you talk a little bit about how you reversed out of it? Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. Um, so uh, the, the one thing I'll throw out, too, that I think will really help add value to our conversation today is that uh, Mike Nelson has had my ear 
pertaining to diets since 2006 via the internet, eight face-to-face interaction. And so, so as Mike gets to talking and he throws out things, one of the things I can tell you is that Mike has really been on for the practical end, that right track for a long time as far as he and I working together. And it's been that game of don't make the client any more uncomfortable with what our interaction is with them than they already are day to day. And to really be aware of that idea of how responsive is this individual. So one of the things that I liked going in and talking to Mike is I could share with Mike a given number of results, some, you know, some type of numeric change. And Mike's questions were always coming back to me viewing me as simply, okay, well, based on your history. Now, I know that sounds so, of course, so basic and so simple, but if people listening, how many of you are currently stacking up your progress against that one person in the gym or that one friend in your life who, yeah, they eat two cheeseburgers and they drop 3% body fat over the weekend? Are you really evaluating your responsiveness based on right now, not five years ago, not 10 years ago. And that was a thing that Mike would always bring back to the table. So Paul, that always made it very simple is we had the luxury of just being able to stay what's happening right now in front of us with the numbers we've already been working with. And and in that way, uh, it made it very, very easy to stay down when it was good to go down and to gain uh, lean mass when it was good to gain. So just to kind of like introduce, there, there's really two audiences here. There's, um, there's like the people that will listen to the podcast, and I think they'll be really interested to the part that you're, you're talking about because I think from a practical experience, um, you know, obviously you did it, and you've worked with Mike on a, on a lot of levels for many years. The other thing that um, really that this course is sort of addressing is the relationships that gym owners have with clients. And as someone that obviously, you know, works in gym atmosphere, works with clients, things of this nature, um, you know, any, any thoughts that you have in that regard? Obviously, you've already explained a little bit. Um, about- I'll tell you what I got. I got one that I think is a, a great thing that that we can start with when we go through those levels and we look at it. Is we have to meet that client where they're at, and some people come in the door, and for some reason they're going to want to be put to a certain degree of a trial for that weight loss, and there's going to be other people that are going to come in. And I think one of the real key things for us to do is as we're learning what this person's goal is, is to let them know that they actually have options. There are many people that they have this perception that there's only two modes. I either get fat or I get lean. Right. And what I would like to let people know is that actually we have a bit of a menu here. Do you want to be losing at this particular rate? Well, then here's the deal. There are particular consistencies you're going to have to engage in. Now, if you want to enjoy a rate that's more predictable based on this scale over here, well, then you need to now be ready to make these types of substitutions. Yeah, and one I, of the things that, that 
go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead, please. No, I think you're I think you're making a great point because I think one of the things that what you're talking about is setting the expectation of the client, right? So the client yes, walk sir. client walks in the door and the client is like, I am 20 pounds overweight, I gotta fix that today. I think that the fitness industry has gotten a raw deal from the diet industry, right? Because what is being sold to everyone is, you know, detoxes and flushes and 30-day challenges and all this other type of stuff. It doesn't set up real well for long-term results. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we've tried to introduce to the fitness world is that don't let the diet world necessarily dictate the progress of your clients and what what we've seen and what Mike I'm sure you know you guys have had multiple conversations from is you know metabolic rate is largely responsible as it relates to the amount of muscle that you have on your frame so any plan that you have should allow you to be at maintenance potentially building tissue over time right and so I just wanted to kind of introduce that, but but I interrupted you, so keep going. Well, I think I think that's exactly right, and and what you get into there is a, another great thing that. So so what what you're talking about is what type of education do we extend to the client? And one of the problems I think we're in is that with with those folks that are straddling these arenas of diet and exercise, well, how much am I supposed to share? What things am I supposed to share? And that can be a daunting challenge, especially when the client, and when we know this in terms of, if I jump around for a moment in terms of securing that sale and actually being that marketable gym where people are coming in, right, is have to meet them with what they think they're supposed to be doing. And and perhaps they may they may be walking in with, a lot of things that they're quite certain on that simply are not. And what I really like about that idea of, of matching up with things by comfort with them is that when people, when their comfort level is exceeded, they're going to break. Something's going to break. It's either going to be their body or the resolve. And with where we're at folks, we, we can let them see that there's a different game than this all in or nothing, that it doesn't have to be, my way or the highway you know what's interesting about what you're saying there is they actually want that too right and the reason why they default to more extreme options is because pulling off the band-aid in three weeks and then you go well i failed there is not as high of a cost but if we yes, can sir. if we can say to them hey look you know You've been doing this wrong for the last 40 years. If you give me 12 weeks, I can show you that you're headed in the right direction. That won't mean that you'll be physique model ripped. But what it will show you is that you've been on the wrong plan and I've got the right plan. And I think that that is comforting you know, as someone, you know, the one thing that's nice about my journey is that I didn't come to this from a level of being fit my whole life. You know, 
And so kind of picking the pieces together and kind of meeting Mike similar to the way that you did. You know, one of the things that you and I probably could relate to is that Mike, you know, is reasonable. And a lot of other people tend to be fairly dogmatic in their approach, you know, and not as 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 flexible. What I do think that we're introducing, and, and I think this is something that's been, you know, common in strength and conditioning um and, and can you talk a little bit about that is is not so much like the deficit part the deficit part's easy right i mean like lose 10 pounds you know you figure out a way to get that done it's really the reversing out of it that i think most in coming to maintenance that most people struggle with what was your experience like with that so I will tell you what helped me. I, I'm someone who has been able to play a lot of games with changing, with kind of riding the cycles of changing things. I don't have a story of the guy who just, who I, like I don't have the 100-pound weight gain since high school story. I have a story where over the last five years I've modeled my body several different ways. And, and here's what I believe. Responsiveness is very key. So here's a typical scenario. You got your, your average dude bro out there. You've had fantastic progress over the last eight months. Uh, but here's the holidays and you've been swamped at work and you have family obligations and all these things. And you just flat out, you have not been to the gym in the last four weeks. And right now when you're getting out of the shower to shave, you look in the mirror and you see your body's different. And you're thinking, oh no. Well, man, let me, let me spin it a different way, man. Hey, that's awesome. That is awesome that now that the stimulus has changed, your body is following suit and it is responding according to what you are and are not doing. Uh, I worry about that person who tells me that I'm the same weight that I've been since high school. And it's like, really, with everything that's happened to you in life and the ups and the downs and, and the things that you've done and the things that you've, you've failed to do, you're the exact same. That doesn't seem very responsive to me. So what I say all that because for me, what I was told uh, quite frequently was that you cannot keep doing the same things exactly and see that same rate of return. There has to be degrees of change, and and you know there's there's all types of ideas that go there. But so so can I just stop me, you right there? And, yes, I just want to stop you right there because what you just said might be one of the best things that has been said in all the times that we've done these courses is I think that a lot of people look at when their body starts to hunger signaling, right? Oh my goodness, I introduced carbs and now I'm hungry. You know, should I be worried about that? No, you should be glad that your body's alive. You know, you should be glad that your body's responding to it. I think that is one of the most brilliant things anybody said you know, in all the time we've had these discussions, because the the other thing that I think is important to what you're saying is that you can use that. And I know that people look at it and they go, well, that's kind of a net negative. It really isn't all that negative when you look at how the body responds to stimulus, right? And so when you are in a period where it's the holidays, you're stressed out, you're not sleeping, you know, all these different types of things. Now, all of a sudden, you go, okay, well, 
you know, I mean, standard thing is, right, December 26th or January 1st or whenever they get back to the gym, rather than looking at it as a, ne a negative, you've got the ability to make gains very quickly. And because of muscle memory and the way that your body works and stuff like that, you know, your body's going to figure it out quicker, you know, than someone who is just starting off. And if you're just starting off, you know, there's good news for you too, right? You're going to get the best response. If, if there's 10 people working out in the gym and there's a new person compared to nine trainees, give me the gains of that new person over those nine trainees all day long, right? Um, so I, I, I just wanted to like just expand upon what you were saying because I think unpacking that idea is brilliant. Yeah, one micro comment on that too, the same thing is that the clients I have the hardest time with are exactly what Adam said, is that when they're stuck. So their body weight's not going up, it's not going down. We try higher volume, we try maybe more calories, we, we try to put in more larger inputs and the output, the response is like, eh. I mean, those are the people that I think have the worst thing. The person where we do maybe higher volume and they eat a lot more, yeah, maybe they gain some fat, but like Adam was saying, they still had a response. Okay. So now we know what to do and what direction to go. It's the, the people where you're doing more stuff and nothing has really happened or the rate is really small. Um, those are much harder to deal with. Less common too. But. I'm gonna I'm gonna tiptoe on this one, but uh, okay. So and Mike has actually met some of these folks in, in the past, Paul. As I say this, but I'm not gonna use any names. But we have had folks that came through when I had uh, the facility in Plymouth. And I'll tell you, it seemed that nothing changed anything. You'd bring them in, they would you you could prescribe any amount of exercise, any minimal amount, any change in diet, they would follow suit and just nothing would change. Truly the most the most frustrating scenario is to see this person come in and they have, you know, they have a decided heart to change, they have a dedicated mind to change, they really want it but nothing would, would go anywhere. That's not a responsive body. And I will tell you this, I think that responsiveness is probably, there's probably things we can do that alter, alter and influence our own rate of response. You know what I mean? People who do things that provoke more response and follow the natural curve, I would postulate, what if those folks see faster, faster results, faster rates of improvement, and the people who fight it the most what if those are the people that get stuck the worst? And what if getting stuck is not the state where uh, you're always getting worse? What if truly being stuck is where you're just always the same? Whether or not that given mark on the board is good, that's just where you're at. I think that's a bigger problem biologically. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of the times, you know, the – the people have kind of put themselves in that position unintentionally and you know one of the one of the worst things that that can happen to you and you know i you know i think a lot of people can relate to this is just that that hole you know and how how big you dig that hole you know and there's two ways to do that right there's there's the movement side of things and then there's like the the eating side of things and um I think that, you know, when someone has been dieting chronically, you know, 
and uh, you know it sort of kind of messed them over on a, on a hormone side of things you know when you look at type 2 diabetes you know that's an example of sort of what you're talking about where the body becomes unresponsive you know and then and then the exact opposite is also true you know and and they do have similarities you know one well it's the sameness is the similarity right the same that the, the type 2 diabetic when you look at their diet their diet is incredibly same problematically same the, that chronic dieter and this is so key for folks listening that person who always has the green beans with the kale and only this amount of protein effect. Hey, if it's exactly the same all the time, okay, just be aware there may be some indicators that you can get stuck in that spot and being stuck in any spot seems to be the problem. Not, not if it's good or bad. It's the fact that you can't change it. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I think we've kind of covered that well. You know, that was really something that I wanted to address. I mean, honestly, Adam, you've, you know, you've contributed a lot there. Um, what, what I wanted to talk a little bit about towards the end of the webinar is, is your experience because I, I know you from, from grip training. Um, do, does the name Justin Goff mean anything to you? Yes. So Jeff Goff, yeah. um, he is a copywriter. Right, he's he does um, marketing and, and production of uh, well, a total total design and production for marketing. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He wor He's worked on a project in the past several years ago. Jeff did the um, which one was it? It was. I'm it was, thinking it was the first grip product, Paul. Yeah, I think yeah. He did. I think he did industrial strength grip that Justin did all the mock-ups for all of that work. Yeah, no, because it, it's funny because I knew him from poker um, back oh. at, back <laughs> back in the day, and then he and AJ Roberts are real good friends. And then you know, um, I knew that you were you know grip, and and that's got to be a small community, right? And so I figured you probably had some some ideas because when I first started getting fit, you know, he started sending me some of the stuff that you know he was putting out there. And so, yeah, it's it's sort of interesting how our paths have crossed. So, talk a little bit because I've seen videos of you. I mean, how how give people like some of your weight stats because like some of what you're able to lift is flat out unreal. Um, so, how tall are you, and what is your weight? <laughs> so, so I'm uh I'm right at I'm right at probably right at six two. Right now, I'm 191 pounds, um, and uh, over the years, the biggest that I've been at doing strongman is all the way up to 235. So I've I've went between those two ranges. Um, so the thing with me is that any given year, if we look at numbers, like here, here's the thing I would never want somebody to believe. I would not someone to hear for someone to hear all the things that I've done and think that it's like a rolling list that I'm just like. Super Saiyan level 9,000, and it's just a rolling addition to what I can do. It gets into that game of, of being adaptive and learning to know that this thing's going. So there are times that I've worked on my military pressing and I could strictly clean and press a 150-pound kettlebell. There were times that I would work on my finger strap lift with these things that Iron Mind makes, and I pulled 1,100 pounds off the floor. Uh, with those Denny Stone trainers, I've done almost 900 pounds. 
Uh, and that was in a contest where we had a judge and, you know, the weights were measured. Uh, I've, I've just, just silly, silly, silly levels of connective tissue strength. I, I truly do not know anyone that if we just go off of a four or five event spread of different things that can keep at the same pace. Cause some of the things that I've done, I don't know anyone that can hit the same numbers. Yeah. Cause I, I, I just remember you doing grip work. Um, and, and you know, what, you know, if you've ever done grip work, you know, it hurts like, holy hell, you know, um, especially like what I saw you doing, I think you had a thousand pounds on the bar or maybe like high nines or something. And you just held it, you know, for a while there. Um, I believe you were at Los Campagnones at the time. Um, and just like unreal, you know, like, you know, I mean, I, I lift with some really strong guys, but they tend to be, you know, 300 pound guys, you know, 295, you know, whatever. Yes. Um, and so that, that's what I think makes your thing kind of impressive in terms of like, just, you know, off the floor, stuff like that. What would you say like is the differences between, you know, like you said, your connectivity strength compared to like someone picking something up off the floor? Cause I'm imagining you're fairly proficient at that, but just not as, you know, as so, otherworldly, I, I think I, I think I know two good things to throw out. So the first thing is, so this is something that Mike got to see is the day that I figured out that I could like that. I'm really good at one arm deadlifting with a hook grip. The first day that I ever figured out, Mike was hanging out the gym and I, he was in he had the, the room was two rooms split by a bay. And I run around the corner and Mike was sitting there talking I said, hey, man, I'm picking up like 300 pounds with one hand. Well, in 25 minutes, that was 315 to 405. The next training session was 405 up to 485. So very, very high tissue strength allows you for very, very rapid adjustments. That'd be what that, I'd say that's one of the very first differences in how I train it. So in terms All of the time particles. Yeah, in terms of in terms of you know how do you think that translates to to regular lifts? I know you know for a lot of people, you know, grip is a limiting factor, and so you know you see people using straps and and all these different types of things. I know you know for myself there was two things you know as my deadlift started to go up, um, and 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 I'm naturally built to deadlift. I'm not naturally built to squat. And, and for some yeah. reason, for some reason, gym owners hate it when I say that. And I'm like, look, here's the deal. You know, there's probably 50% of your gym that's just like me. You know, there's just some people that, you know, they're sort of built, you know, now do, does that mean that I don't work on the other? Does that mean that I can't squat over 300? No, I, I can do those things, but you know, one of the things that I think is is sort of interesting is this idea of like leaving your best tool in the toolbox. I think to, oftentimes people work on their deficiencies so much, you know, so why on earth if, you know, I can only snatch, let's say 155 pounds, but I can deadlift 500. I mean, it's not of 
no value to me to try and snatch, but the best bang for my buck's going to be to roll out that 500 pound deadlift, right? And so that's the, the thing that I sort of try to introduce people. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how like grip strength, you know, can make a big difference? Because I know that, especially for, you know, Jeff, Jeff Gervitz talked a little bit about this on the, on the podcast we did with him. And I think he was right. Like, you know, and I talked to my wife a little bit about it and, and she was, she was interested in it as well. She was saying she's actually good at squatting, but she likes deadlifting more because it's less scary, you know? So in your conversation related to grip training and stuff like that, can you give me some thoughts on, on those types of ideas? Well, the first thing I'd throw out would be uh, you think about something like a homoculus, what we already now understand about how the body is built. The body is a lot of real estate in the brain, uh, in the nervous system directed to driving those hands. When you look at another small picture at how uh, connective tissue runs throughout the body, you know, everything's touching everything. Here's the thing I do know. Guys that use straps a lot, and guys that, that squeeze hard on a bar that's light cannot exert the same amount of pressure when it's actually true weight. You know, that whole difference between the intention of squeezing something hard being actually actually able to squeeze harder. I don't know if I'll be able to say this right, but here, here we go. I've seen guys that have a very, very good bench press or pulling strength, but they have a great weakness in the wrist. And they have a lot more problems as soon as you change up the grip. Like it, it cuts out their performance to a remarkable degree. When you see people that have a very, very high amount of grip strength, the amount of their strength that they can put into things is they, they just express strength much better. And, and it goes beyond just pushing and pulling. You know, one of the things that, that Pavel said 15 years ago that, that was probably very influential on in me early training is that idea that if you focus on your abdominal strength and your grip strength, you'll see massive overall strength throughout the body. Okay, so now expand on that idea a little bit because I think most people would agree with you on abdominal strength. Talk to me about the advantages that they're not thinking about with grip strength. Let's see. So... Uh, a couple of the things I would say is number one is in, it's in, you know it's in day to day life that people show their biggest problems. When I see people frustrated trying to handle things, trying to open things, is an area that I often see it. I guess you know Paul probably is pain. If what jumps into my mind when I when I think about what's the best answer for that, uh, how many of you are currently devoting? you know, hours of your life ensuring that you're getting the correct ranges of motion developed throughout your shoulders and your hips and your spine, which we need. Are you giving it through your hands and your wrists, which has the most articulation out of any other single part of your body? And I know this, hand and wrist pain, once it sets in, is going to be an incredible limiting factor in someone's quality of life. Right. I mean, I think that what you're hitting on is something that I, I bring up often is people will often focus on pain and they don't focus on weakness. And yes, sir. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer that that, you know, pain is is just 
you know, the, the, the body's way of telling you have a weakness. You know, Mike T's wife, Jody has had a tremendous success over the years in escaping degrees of pain by implementing grip into her own training. Yeah, she was she was at the um, the the seminar that we did in New York, doing like gymnastic type work, and my wife still talks. Yeah, about yeah. It. My, my wife still talks about it. She was really super impressed by that. You know, I think that I think that what what I see with most people, and and one of the things that that I really like about you know the videos that I see from you and stuff like that. Are some of the changes that you'll make? You know, I, I, I just remember back to when you were doing like a lot of body weight stuff, kind of bar stars type. You know, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know, when I see what you were doing, it was really more. Um, well, can you talk about it? Because I, I don't want to insult you by saying absolutely. Yeah. What well, you know? So so here's here's what I think. The thing that you're going to do is the best thing for you right now. And what do I mean by that? You know, we, we, we got all, as trainers, we get on people because they don't do our favorite thing. Well, you know, they don't squat the right way. We don't like the depth they go to, or we don't like the tools they choose to use for their fitness. We got all these things we don't like. Um, and what I, what I now believe after working with the population that is not into extreme fitness, that is not into hardcore fitness, is that we have to give you something that you really care about. So for those of you that are trainers out there, I'll tell you this, rather than spend 2016 seeking the sexiest certification, just get comfortable getting back to people and saying, what do you really love? Now, why do I say that? For me, uh, I had hit a point where I just needed something that was truly stimulating again. So for me, it was just getting back to being a true novice. So for me, being a heavy guy, getting back on that bar, uh, it was a period of tremendous change ball. Yeah, no, I think that that is a, a great way to say it. It's actually sort of interesting because there's a place near my house um, that has, it's like a kickboxing type place. And my wife was interested in going. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll check it out. We've gone twice now. And I flat out dig it. Like way more than she did. I bought like hand wraps and stuff. Yeah, like man. That. Yeah, you know, like, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a fight fan. You know, um, I haven't boxed since I was, you know, a young guy. Um, why not? Well. Why not, you know? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why not. You know, it's nice to... Um, the out, but the in kind of sucks. <laughs> so, get, getting hit in the face usually isn't, isn't a whole lot of fun, but yeah, I mean, what, what was interesting is that I never worked with like, you know, any type of bag or anything since I was probably 12, 13 years old. And now as an adult, you know, 175 pound man, you know, with power you know, with, with lats, you know, like you can actually step into a punch and, and, and it's really sort of enjoyable. And it was really something that, what was nice about it 
Because it, it's, it's like a circuit place, you know, I mean, uh, you know, everything's super high intensity, which, you know, I think that's kind of a, a takeaway of what you're saying is that for 2016, you know, a lot of the gyms that we work with, they're CrossFit gyms, and I think that they feel like they're stuck in this model of high intensity. But at the end of the day, you know, how can you broaden your base? Because when you look at a, sure. a when you look at a CrossFit CrossFit gym or, or whatever gym it is, a lot of times it comes down to the community. And the more people you can add to the garden, the, the better the garden responds, you know. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, of businesses that are sort of struggling because, you know, they, they've exhausted the, the high intensity people and hopefully, you know, they can, you know, and, and we can help them a little bit with coming up with ideas that are, you know, more inclusive, you know, because one of the things that we hear all the time is, well, you know, eat perform seems like it's really CrossFit. I'm like, there's months I don't CrossFit at all. So it's definitely not about that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, if you can experience, expand the way that you think as a trainer, you know, that that's huge. I mean, the other thing that I've been doing recently is rucks, you know, which has kind of been a, a fun little thing, especially as it's starting to snow. Cause you, I, I believe you moved back to Florida or you moved down to Florida. Is that correct? I'm in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So you at least get the nice weather. Oh man, it was like 70 degrees yesterday. You know, it's, it's forecast <laughs> 75 degrees on Christmas Day. Right. Oh wow. <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't get that white Christmas. Well, we might not get the white Christmas either. It's been kind of <laughs> oh, bad. I don't miss it. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So no, I think I think that is interesting, and I think that I think that you know a lot of gems feel stuck. You know where you know we have to do this one thing, and a lot of the times they'll I, I i think it's a version of what you're saying but there's a little difference um a lot of the times what i see with gyms it is they sort of get stuck in this 15 to 20 minutes of high intensity that's really not high intensity right it's not it's not like hit intervals or tabata intervals where you're as close to 100% as you can get, right? It's really more... Yes, it's just hard. It's yeah, just it, things that are inconvenient, that are that are uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's five rounds of things that you're going to really hate later. But is it high intensity? Well, no. No, it's not. Yeah, not in not in the way that, that high intensity is, is, is defined. Well... well, well not in the way that it matters. Yeah, well, that's... But the problem we get into is people think they can talk their way into making high-intensity work. Nope, intensity is very mathematically specific. Yeah, well, and then the other thing about high-intensity that I think is also kind of interesting is that it's sort of like what you were saying earlier. The more you do it, the more the body adapts to it and the less the result that you get from it. Now, granted, you know... <laughs> sex is probably really awesome for that person and their mate, you know, but at a certain point, you know, you kind of, uh, you kind of exhaust, um, you know, the, the high end there and you're probably wasting some potential that you would have on, 
you know, whether it be like weight training, because one of the things that we see a lot is, you know, a gym will have a strength component and then they'll have a wide. Okay. So the, the, the people that are really super strong, you know, that could probably use a little bit more wad activity. Well, they're there for the strength component. And then they're going to give kind of 50 to 60% on the wad. Then there's the wad people who are like, yeah, let's do this. I want to do my seventh wad this, you know, this week. And, and they right. could actually probably use more of the strength component. And I think as, as gym owners, we need to sort of guide people you know, like, yeah, go ahead and do the things that you like and the things that, that feel good. But also, you know, don't don't neglect, you know, kind of have different, you know, cups that... So I, got, I do have an idea on that because yeah. I think that's a great thing to talk about there, Paul. And what I would say is this. It comes down to what are we praising? So if we have a guy and his shoulder hurts... And he comes in and he goes all out on a wad that that really he should have decided that you know what today I'm actually just gonna do, I'm gonna get on the spin bike for 15 minutes and stretch, and and the fact that gym members are praising him as he's physically breaking himself, it, it what what the gym owner does at that moment is gonna define the culture. Yeah. Because you're either going to have a culture where we arm ourselves while we cheer, or we have a culture where people are being patted on the back for making the decision that actually gets them the thing they think they want. Yeah, I mean that you're 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 hitting something that I think is really super important because I think that you know. You know, we're probably as guilty of that as anybody because on the one hand you want you want people to feel comfortable living an active lifestyle, right? So that that's obviously Absolutely. it's obviously a big priority for, for each reform. But at the same time, you know, I have people that I started off, you know, working out with five, six years ago that look the same. You know, and they're working out and they're getting the 15 to 20 minutes that, you know, whatever. But when they walked in that gym, I don't think that they thought that five to six years later, they're going to look roughly the same. But, you know, they're a little bit more proficient from kind of pseudo high intensity cardio. Right. And I, uh, I will tell you that if, if that is the result you knew you would get. If you were selling it to people in any other way than that, you'd be setting yourself up to have a terrible, terrible backlash. Yeah. Yeah. Expound upon that a little bit because I, I don't think I completely understood what you were saying because I think it's a good point. Well, here's the thing that gym owners need to keep in mind. The average person out there who's seeking our help. Okay. Two numbers I'll throw out. Most inquiries for training come Sunday night. That can be verified using different Google Analytics tools. But I believe this. Sunday night when someone's feeling lonely, they're in a negative state, they're feeling all these negative emotions, is when they're most likely to come looking for us. And it matters. It matters why they started with us. 
because people do not get into a great mood and then go look for someone who's going to teach them to snatch a barbell. What happens is they get into a horrible mood and they go looking for someone who will help them. No, in fact, you know, I don't need to tell you, I, I don't need to Google anything. I'll just tell you this. We spend three times as much on Sunday and to a certain extent Monday. Mm. It, it does carry over a little bit. We spend three times more on Sunday than we do any other day of the week. Hmm. Um, just in terms of marketing. So th- so that backs up what you're saying 100%. Yeah. And I think that, I think what it, you know, a little bit of, of what you're saying is that people make, you know, behavior decisions that they're unhappy with and then they you know just decide to click that that buy button i mean one of the things that that we know is standard stuff everybody's known forever right it takes like six to seven to ten you know hits before anyone will purchase you know we have so many people that tell us this on a daily basis yet i think gym owners they look at something like facebook ads and they go, well, I tried Facebook ads and it didn't work. And, you know, I'll say, well, you know, my guess is you weren't even close on what would actually work, you know, because they want to put out something. They want the customer to need that right then and there. And then, you know, and then magically money falls, you know, from the sky, right? I mean, one of the gym owners, this was sort of funny because um, I'm in like this this kind of uh, mindset group. One of the guys said that, uh, you know, he puts out an ad and basically it ROIs for the, the customers for that month and he's never lost money um, doing it. And I said, well, are you saying that basically you get a customer for like like for instance to join your gym it's $75 you spent $75 on Facebook to acquire that customer and you're seeing that as a break even point and he said yes i said well you're leaving so much money on the table it's unreal i said tell me how long gym members stay at your gym he said well typically 2 to 3 years i said well then you're spending infinitely less money than you should be spending right and i think that you know as as gen- i don't know how we landed here but but <laughs> but i, I, I well, it's a good spot to be in though yeah and i want to throw out one thing because i'll say this is anybody who hears this if you make money in this industry what i'm about to say will change your life if you can grab this the only reason this industry exists is because of how bad people are hurting yeah okay if you have a society where everyone has incredibly high self-esteem, you'll notice that people are not going to be willing to pay to be taught how to look differently. So we need to be gentle with people because most of the people who are coming to us, even if they look a certain way or they're sounding a certain way, there's something wrong that brings them to a gym. Now, things change, but I'll tell you this. If you'll start looking at your business as a way that fixes that problem, the diet piece starts to really fall in. 
why is this person overweight? Is it because they're in a lot of emotional pain or is it because their diet's bad? Is it because they, they don't need to move or is it because they're not motivated to go anywhere? And it sounds like it's this big complicated thing, but man, that's our job is to take all those complicated factors and make it into one smooth answer. No, I mean, yes, in, in, fa no. in fact, you know, that's, that's sales 101, right? I mean, I remember hearing that message when I was, you know, 25 years old. I didn't know anything going into the car business. And, you know, the only thing I knew was that guy over there sells more cars than me. So I'm going to see if I can ask him how to sell more cars. <laughs> and magically, successful people do want to share. It's really, I have a great story about that. But, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know if I can do it quick enough. But, um, but what he said to me was what you said. You know, if you can address the pain, right, you, you've got the sale, you know. Because ultimately, there's always pain there. Yeah. The, the number one misconception for, a, for someone closing to sit down the table to close that person is if they're telling themselves there's no pain here because you haven't asked the right questions and you haven't dug in. Yeah. I mean, I, I was fired from a car dealership. See, this is what's funny is that people think that, like, you know, when they think of a sleazy car salesman, right? The best car salesmen, they're not the sleazy ones, right? They're the ones that have the back of the people that are buying. I was fired helping a client get a deal, right? To get a better deal than the dealership would have had them get, right? And I said to them, hey, look, you know, I'm calling you in. It's last day of the month. Here's what you have to do to get this deal. The, the good majority of people who didn't sell 24 cars that month, they were already done. You know, they didn't have the incentives that I had to do well for that month. So for me to do well, it was always to be an advocate for the customer to address their pain. And I think as gym owners, that's the exact same thing. Like you said, having a comforting type of place is, is so, so super important. And I'll tell you on that, on that, Oh, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say, Curves made a whole model out of it, right? You don't feel comfortable going to the gym, come here instead. Yeah. That's the basic model. Planet Fitness same is the same. A yeah, little yeah, bit. yeah. 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 Go mean, ahead, Adam. And CrossFit gym owners need to catch that. CrossFit gym owners, you are losing customers to other places where they don't train as good as you because you're not making them feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, as an example, one of the one of the places that I was talking to once said that we, you know, basically program everything for the best athletes in the gym, and that sets the standard. And I remember having this conversation um, with Dave. Um, I always pronounce his last name, but Delanavi is it? Is it right? Um, yeah. And you know, he was like, "Hey, you know, you should you should come work out here." And I was like, "Well." You know, if I worked out here, I deadlift 275, but I deadlift 405, you know, and to a certain extent, they're both right, right? In, in Dave's instance, you know, I'd be doing that 275 with good form, things of this nature. 
in the case of, you know, the CrossFit gym, you know, I was surrounded by a bunch of other people that were always aspiring to greater things. I mean, when I walked into that gym, I was the only one that wasn't a Division Three athlete. I was the only one that wasn't Special Forces. So I had those people as my template. But what you're saying is highly relevant to the current market. It's not six years ago. It's not Division Three athletes. It's just regular people walking into these gyms. And when you look at, we always joke about this on Friday nights when I go to my gym. It's the same six people that would have been there six years ago, right? The rate of turnover is so, so huge. And, you know, if we're just going to define everything as 15 to 20 minutes of high intensity, we're really missing a larger market where, you know, mostly people just want to feel comfortable and they want to feel part of something bigger, you know? Um, how many Navy SEALs do you guys think there are out there? How many Division One athletes do you think there are yeah. in your local area to come do your workout? Yeah, it's not it's not a lot, and 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 you know you see it you know in the gyms, um, you know the uh, I think all of us like to feel that whatever we're doing is like the most beast mode ever. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I sort of joke about in seminars is like, you know, it's cool that you think that you're like the baddest dude on the planet. Just stay out of the fight in the alley. You know, it ain't going to go the way you think it's going to go. I'm just <laughs> going to put that out to you. Um, well, Adam, I appreciate you being here. You know, we didn't really get into like some biofeedback stuff, which I think would have been kind of fun because that would have been, um, we'll maybe have to have you on for some of that kind of stuff later on. Um, uh, actually, I'll tell you, Paul, we actually did. Oh, yeah? We, we did, man. I'll, I'll tell you this, guys. Here's, here's the one biofeedback thing I'll say for this call. There's a reason that some things are both easy for you physically and psychologically motivating there's a reason that they're not in other directions and there will be a distinct change for the people who are able to align their goals where things are all taking you in the upward ascension rather than the downward spiral so maybe we can do another call and talk about that whole idea one day yeah and i think i think to expound upon that really quickly is that if you're constantly doing things that sort of hurt you and make you feel uncomfortable, how long do you think you're really going to do that? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And 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 you, you talked about it a little bit as it relates to variety of food. You know, like I said, within the last couple months, you know, I've started doing rocks, started doing like the kickboxing type stuff. You know, you should always be looking for anything that expands who you are as a human being. You know, and don't get like, you know, well, you know, you know, get caught up in comparison, you know, and, and I think that that's kind of an important part of the discussion. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. This was actually a phenomenal call. I, I it would shock yeah, me. Adam, that was awesome. Yeah, that was great. All righty, sir. Yeah, well, thanks for having me out, guys. Yeah, I appreciate you being here, and uh, we'll uh, have this loaded up in iTunes probably within the day or so. So, so talk to you guys later. Oh, thank you.
Thank you, guys. Have a great night. All right, bye-bye. See you guys.